Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. Thank you, Pastor. Good, good morning, good evening, everybody. Um, for those who don't know, I'm Siobhan. I work at uh, Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship in Cape Town with Pastor Michael. And uh, Pastor Andreas, I just want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to share with, with uh, the people this tonight. And so, yeah, I pray that you guys will be blessed by what I have to share and that it would take root in your hearts. Um, and so, just before we start, can can I just pray one more time, just just to set the set the tone for for what we're going to do now? Father, I thank you that you are with us, that you love us and you care for us, and when we share your word and engage with your word, that you make yourself at home here with us. And so we bless you that we have this opportunity to engage with you through your word, and we pray God that you would. Bring about transformation in our thought and our hearts regarding you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So I would like to ask, if you have your Bible with you, could you please turn to Matthew chapter 1, as you can imagine. This is not very surprising. I'm going to be talking about Christmas. And so Matthew 1 is usually the place you would go to. I'm in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1. And it reads, I'm reading from the ESV translation. It reads as follows. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. This took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took his wife. But he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. I'd like to start off by telling you guys a, a story that, that uh, has been imprinted in my own heart and mind ever since the moment it happened. So when I joined Alpha and Omega, the staff, in a, about eight years ago, one of the first things that, that uh, I was charged to do was join a ministry we had in one of the townships in Cape Town called Langa. The, the, the ministry was called Manor. It was an outreach to feed the poor in, in the township as well as share the gospel with them. And one, what I was called in to do was to share the gospel with a bunch of young people. 
So we're looking at high schoolers, teenagers from the ages of 13 to around 18. And uh, it was it was an exciting time. And Michael Weiss and Kerry Weiss, I'm sure you guys know who they are, they were leading that ministry at the time. And so Michael calls me into a, a meeting just before I went there for the first time. And he basically prays for me and says to me, Siobhan, I, I want you to share the gospel with these young people. They need the gospel. And I said, yes, that sounds like a great idea. And I asked him, so what would you like me to share? And he said, that's up to you. I trust you completely. You go with it. You run with it. And I'm sure they will be blessed. And so I said, I, I like that. I like that idea. And so in thinking about what I would share with them as this group of young people, I thought, where do you start when you want to share the gospel with a bunch of teenagers? Where, where, what do you say to them? And obviously I had a brilliant idea. I decided I was going to start in the beginning of the Jesus story, which is the story we just read. And um, as you can imagine, that didn't go as I planned it to go. <laughs> as I said, as I spoke to them and I said, you know, Jesus was born of a virgin. All of them in one accord, in a very African way, looked at me with disbelief on their faces and said, hi, 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 Shavad. That is impossible. We cannot believe that. We know how babies are made, and that's not how they are made. So, obviously, I was taken aback by this response because I'm so used to talking to people that just accept what I say. I say. And for the first time, I got some pushback by a group of young people, and I thought to myself, hey, what do I do now? And so I went home and I said to the Lord, Lord, is it possible, obviously, because I'm, 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 I'm a thinker, I said, is it possible, Lord, that I can believe in you without believing that you were born of a virgin? The answer, to cut it short, is no. This is fundamental to our faith, the idea that Jesus was born of a virgin. Now, granted, the response of those young people were justified. I'm saying someone was born and it wasn't, it's not the natural way someone is born. And so it got me to thinking, where did this idea come from? Like, this is not a story that a bunch of men make up and then get everyone else to believe it. Like, it's, if you want a believable story, this is not the story to start off with. So I went back to Isaiah chapter 7 and I began to read where this, 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 this prophecy had come out of. Now, in Isaiah 7, uh, there are two kings, the king of Ephraim, which is part of Israel, and then a king, the king of Syria are colluding together to overthrow the king of Judah. Now, this is a problematic situation in the life of Israel. And the reason why is because God had promised David that his throne would last forever. And they were way stronger than the king of Judah. And Judah, the king of Judah, is succumbing to the fear of being overthrown. And so this is what we read when we, when we see Isaiah 7. This is what Isaiah 7 verse 10 to 14 says. This is the Lord speaking through the prophet to Ahaz, the king of Judah. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol, 
or high as the heaven. But Ayaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the law to the test. Now, that there is not a statement of wisdom. That there is a statement of fear. He doesn't want to put his neck on the line and say, God, okay, I will ask you for the sign and you will show me. The reason why he's asking for the sign is because the prophet has come to him and says to him, this is what's happened, but I want you to know that the Lord's saying he's on your side. He's got your back. He's there and he's going to defend you and defend the throne that he has given to your father, David. And so the Lord is saying to Ahaz, ask of me anything as deep as Sheol or as high as the heavens, and I will make it happen to prove to you that I will keep my promise to your father, David. And so Ahaz, because he's overcome with fear, says to the Lord, I don't want to ask. Uh, have you ever been so afraid <laughs> and in such disbelief and unbelief that you can't even ask the Lord for a sign? And this is where Ahaz finds himself. And then he said, Yeah, then, O house of David, this is the Lord speaking to him once again. Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and be a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. This virgin birth is God's idea. It's his desire to be with us, and so He's saying, I'll give you a sign, a radical sign, a ridiculous sign. And when this sign comes to pass, you will know that I am on your side. And here again, I'm in front of a group of people declaring that I believe Jesus was born of a virgin. Thank you for not holding your, your head with unbelief and disbelief like those young people did. <laughs> but here I am again saying that I actually believe this. And I'm sure you believe it too. Now, the world will say to us, utter foolishness. This is ridiculous. How can you believe such a thing? And this is when I really lean on the Apostle Paul, who said, the message that we preach is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the very power of God. And so... We believe this because we trust God that he is faithful to keep his promises. And this sign of Jesus being born of a virgin is a sign to you and me that he will keep his promises to you and I. Yes, the promises of God are radical. And so he has given us a radical sign that he will be faithful to what he has said to us. And so we celebrating this virgin birth is, is not just a... A, a thing we do when we put up Christmas trees and give each other presents and just have a good time. It's, it's a time in our calendar as Christians where our hearts are anchored to the fact that because God has given us this sign, because Jesus was born into the world this way, he will be faithful to do what he said he would do. When we celebrate Christmas, we're saying to God, God, we trust you. We believe that you were born of a virgin and we trust you that you will keep your promises to us. And so this sign anchors us in the word of God. It anchors us when life throws its hardest punches our way. It says to us when things are not going our way, no, but you know what? 
We believe our king was born of a virgin and we know the prophecy says because he was born of a virgin, God is on our side. And so you might say to me, Siobhan, it's easy to say that when you're not the one going through the ringer. It's easy to say that when you're not the one who's gotten the bad report. It's easy to say that when you're not the one facing the hardest time in your life. And I would say you are right. But that will move us on to the next point of this prophecy. It says this, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And I think this is where I just want to sit for a moment. Is talk about this idea of God being with us. When life is hitting you, when things are not going your way, when the promises of God seem to be taking a while to come to pass, that's when we hold on to the statement, God is with us. When we wish that life would change a lot faster, when we wish that God would just make all things new already, it's in those moments that we get to say, God is with us. And did you know that it's the heart of God, it's the, at the very base of God's heart for you and I, that we know that he desires to be with us. And we see this front and center in the Bible. In the very first page of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, we see God create the world. And normally we think that the culmination of the creation story is day six, where God makes man in his own image, places man there, breathes life into him, and we become a living soul. But the truth is the culmination of the creation story is actually day seven, when God rested. And you might think, what does that have to do with Christmas, Siobhan? <laughs> I'm, I'm about to show you. On day seven, this is what it says in Genesis chapter two, verse two. It says, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. Now, what this is doing is, an, if you, in the Greek, in the Septuagint, the Bible that probably Jesus would have been reading from, the, the Greek word there is to cease from work. It's, it's not rested in the way we understand rest. It's a ceasing from work. But it's not just a lifting of one's hands from work. But it can actually be seen as when one reclines into something. It's a resting into it, into something else. And so what we see in chapter 7 here is God resting or reclining into creation itself. And so the Garden of Eden is a, is a very amazing place. Um, it's the place where heaven and earth come, come together. It's a place where heaven and earth meet. And the ancient world had a, a, a very beautiful word for places where heaven and earth come together. They called it temples. And here we see God in his creation making somewhat of a temple, a space where heaven and earth come together. And at the end, he rests or reclines into the very creation. And so this is what he's talking about in this prophecy, Emmanuel, God with us. God rests, wants to be with his creation, he inhabits his creation. And we know this because not, after, long, not long after that, we read that God walks with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. He is with his creation. 
And so, yeah, we see the same pattern unfold when God is making, giving Moses the blueprint for the tabernacle. Uh, he gives them this meticulous blueprint. They finish the blueprint. They make the, the temple. And at the end, in Exodus 40, we see the same pattern happen. The cloud that was hovering over them, once the temple is built, the Bible says that cloud descends, it rests onto that temple. Now God is no longer hovering over his people. He rests in the midst of them. He is now with his people on the ground. And then you see the very same thing happening in uh, in the book of Chronicles, when Solomon builds his temple, right after that happens, the Bible says that the glory of the Lord comes down onto the temple. And so the culmination of the creation story and these temple stories is that God gets to be with us. And this is what you are seeing in the Matthew 1 passage. He's saying, now God in Jesus gets to be with us. And so... You, my favorite one of the, my favorite Christian story is from the Gospel of John, chapter one. And now you might say to me, Siobhan, I think you're mistaken. The Gospel of John doesn't have a Christmas story. <laughs> and I would say to you, just just listen a bit. I think I think you'll agree with me that there is a Christmas story there. In Genesis, in John one, John is recreating Genesis one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That sounds a lot like Genesis 1. But then the culmination of John's creation story is in John 1, 14. This is what he says in John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You see that pattern once again. God makes the world, he makes creation, and in John's mind, he's, he's talking about a new creation. Now God is making the world all over, all over again. And this time we get to see the embodiment of God in the person of Jesus himself. God comes and dwells among us. That word dwell there can also be tabernacle. He came and he tabernacled among us or he templed among us. Jesus now becomes the point in which heaven and earth come together. And so God really wants to be with you and me. Just think about that for a moment. He's taken extreme measures to be with us. Think about what that must be like. If it was to sink down in your heart, God wants to be with me. God is not interested in the future you. God is not interested necessarily in you being perfect. He wants to be with the you that exists right now, not the you that will exist in the future. The one that exists right now. It's the same way you see Jesus existing, being with his disciples. They were a raggedy bunch. They were not perfect. They made mistakes and big mistakes. And yet it was the desire of God to be with them. And so you know what you are like. I definitely know what I am like. And sometimes I wonder why God would want to be with me. But yet, He does. He does want to be with us. And we need to remember this because it's His desire. We, we, often, we often say, you know, He came to save us from our sins. Yes, He did. He came 
to heal us from our sickness and our diseases. Amen. Yes, he did. He came to be our Lord and our King. Yes, he did. He came to destroy the works of the enemy. Yes, he did. But we should never forget that he also came to just be with us. That is something we should not allow to escape from our minds. We get the privilege of being with him. I often think about this and I can't help but think about David in Psalm 8 when he says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in, the, in all the earth. You set your glory above the heavens. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you set in its place, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care? This desire for God to be with us is on every page of the Bible. From Genesis, Exodus, and all the way through to Revelation, all you see is God pursuing man. God wanting to be and inhabit his creation so that we can enjoy his presence. And you see this when John declares that, you know, with that, that moment in the Gospel of John where John points to Jesus and he, say, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Andrew, Peter's brother, is a disciple of John the Baptist. And Andrew looks to John most likely and says to John, what do you, are you saying that's the Messiah? Are you saying he's the one? He's the one that's going to set us free. And John must have said, yes, sure, he's the one. And so Andrew just decides, you know what, I'm no longer following you, John. I'm going to run after Jesus now. See you, I'm glad for the time we had, but I'm going to chase after him. And so Andrew chases after Jesus and runs after him and starts screaming, Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi. And Jesus, in very Jesus-like fashion, turns to Andrew and says, what do you want? <laughs> what do you want with me? And Andrew says to him, where do you live? And Jesus doesn't say to him, I live on such and such a street at such and such a house. The response Jesus gives to him is, come and see. Come and be with me. That is a rabbi calling a disciple into discipleship, to be with the rabbi. And you know this because you've read the Gospels, I'm sure you have. They don't leave him once they start going to his house. Once they find out where he lives, they don't leave him alone. And they fall in love with him. Peter finds out that Jesus is the Messiah through Andrew. And what does Peter do when Jesus says, come and follow me? He quits his job. I'm going to go be with him. I, I don't recommend that, by the way. But <laughs> he, he does the radical thing. He goes and he follows Jesus. And for three years, they get to be with God in the flesh. They get to be with him. There's a moment where Jesus looks to the group, the 12, and he says, I'm not going to be with you guys any longer. And one of the disciples chirps up and says, can we come with we, we don't want to live without you. We don't want to be, we don't want a, a life where you are not with us because we've now experienced the glory of being with you and we can't imagine a life without you. And so as we celebrate Christmas, as we come and we think about what it must mean for us that our God wants to be with us, 
it, I hope it sits into your, it, it's, it settles into your heart that God really desires to be in your presence. He wants to be with you. And when the promises are taking a while to come to fulfillment, He's wanting to be with you. When life is not going the way you want it to go, He's wanting to be with you. When things are great and you are having a blast, He's wanting to be with you. He's so committed to being with us that He is with us even when we can't think of it, see it, imagine it. And if you read through the Psalms, a lot of the Psalms is people in, in, in difficult situations saying, God, where are you? His response must be to them in a still small voice, I'm with you. I know you can't see it. I know you can't feel it, but I'm with you. We see this in Acts chapter eight, chapter 9, where Paul is busy persecuting the church. What does Jesus say to Paul when he encounters him on the road to Damascus? Jesus says to Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He doesn't say, why are you persecuting my people? He says, why are you persecuting me? Jesus does not separate himself from his people. He is so with us even when we can't feel it. And so one last scripture as we come to, as I wrap this up, Matthew ends his gospel because he wants to drive home this point the same way he started his gospel. In Matthew chapter 8, this is what we see Jesus telling his disciples. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the heart of God, that we recognize that He wants to be with us. Yes, He wants to teach us. Yes, He wants to transform our lives. Yes, He wants to give birth to new creation in and through us. But we should never, ever settle for a Christianity where we don't get to be with Him. If we don't get to be with Him, there's no point. And that's what we celebrate. Our God, the God of the universe, is born, he goes, he does something radical, and he's born of a virgin that he might be with us. While we eagerly await the fulfillment of the promises of God, let us never forget that he wants to be with us. And one of the ways that we get to share in the presence of God is through communion. And so I want to end it there and hand it back over to Pastor Andreas. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org.za.